We are in 1 John uh, this morning. We're going to continue our series on real Christianity. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, um, you're going to kind of, this morning, hear a little bit of the same theme. Um, John is very intentional about uh, talking about what a, a real Christian looks like and and, and uh, so this morning you're going to hear a little bit of the same theme as what we've heard over the past few weeks. But we're, this morning, uh, before we dive into dive into First John, you know we've said the statistic every week is that 70% of Americans call themselves Christians or claim to be Christians. What if we lived like it? What if 70% of America lived like a like like the Bible tells us to live? Or what if, I mean, even in my, my mind, I look at it and I go, what if 35% of America lived the way the Bible calls us to live? Like that's, that's half of the 70% who claim to, be, claim to be Christians. How would our world, how would our culture look differently? And, and so as we've been going through First John, um, we have looked then to Second Timothy to see what scripture is useful for uh, before every, before every, every time we dive into First John. So this morning we're gonna we're gonna do the same thing. So Second Timothy three sixteen is gonna be on the screen, and I'm gonna have us read it aloud. Okay, just like we're just like just just like we're in, we're in class together. So ready? Here we go. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is from God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, calling out, correcting, showing, and training us to become like Christ so that we are equipped to do what he calls us to do. And that's what this series has been all about. It's, it's, it's all about that. And so this morning, our, 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 I want us to remember that John was writing this, writing this, and if you were following along in our reading plan over the past week, you might have got to chapter 5 and you read the first few verses and it was good, and you read the second few verses, and if you didn't look to different translation or something like that, you might have been a little bit confused, and then you read the last, se- last little section of chapter 5 and been like, okay, he brings it all back together, and maybe there's a little bit clearer of a picture there. And, and, and so John is very theological in his writing, and so we just want to remember that, that he is writing to, to help those who are reading to provide assurance in their salvation, that the, the track that they're on as believers is they're on the right track. Like, like they've already started and they're, they're on the right track. He, he helps those who are reading know that they know God. Know that they know God. He also is writing to refute some, some false teaching. And in our section um, this morning, if you're in our reading plan, it's like 12 verses. There's no way I'm going to preach on 12 verses this morning. If we were going to preach on 12 verses, somebody better go start lunch and we'll finish up about 2 o'clock because there's a lot of, lot of, lot of information. There's lots of different Lots of good content in these verses, but this morning we're going to focus on the idea that real Christians, it's going to be mind-blowing, ready? Believe in Jesus, right? Mind-blowing. Real Christians believe in Jesus. And so let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that we can be in your house. God, we thank you for the time of of worship that we had. Thank you for your presence that, that is in this place. And Lord, this morning, uh, we pray, God, for assurance in our lives that you are our Savior. Father, if there's any who are here who, who don't know you this morning, God, would you begin to draw them to yourself? And Holy Spirit, would you just speak to our hearts? Open our 
ears, open our eyes to, to see what your word says, and let your Holy Spirit guide us in walking it out. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, the words belief and, and faith this morning are, are going to be interchangeable in, 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 this, in, in this passage. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Real Christians have faith in Jesus or believe in Jesus. And uh, so this morning, I'm going to start on something that's maybe a little bit humorous, but you'll see it'll bring it all back around here. And how many of you guys have ever been on a mission trip outside of PA? You've been on a mission trip outside of PA. How many of you guys have, okay, have you ever been on vacation outside of PA? Okay, good. The majority of us here are, have, have traveled outside of PA, which is, which is a good thing. Um, but here in the Northeast, you know, I'm from Morgantown, West Virginia, and it's still like borderline Northeast. Like, Northeast, I think, starts in like PA, but we're like a mile from PA where I grew up, so we're pretty close there. And, and, so, and, and so in the Northeast, there's, we're, we're, it's a pretty blessed area if you think about it. And not, not just financially, because I know that's, that's where we, we initially go, is like just because we live in America, you know, that, that we're a blessed people. But, but we get to experience all four seasons. Think about it that way. Like if you ever traveled, you know, to like Central America, they have two seasons. Um, a, lot of, a, a lot of the world only has two seasons. And, and so we get to experience four, we get to experience four seasons. You know, within, within a few hours, uh, we can be to a few different major metropolitan areas, major cities, especially here in Philadelphia. It blows my mind that within a couple of hours, I can be in like three or four pretty major metropolitan areas. It, things in the Northeast are convenient. You guys, there's a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner. There was, one, there was one Dunkin' Donuts in the town that I grew up in, and it was 22 minutes from my house. Exactly, 22 minutes. And uh, I knew exactly how far it was. I live 15 miles from the closest traffic light. You guys, there's like a traffic light on every block. So, you know, we can get to just about anything at any hour of the night or day. We can go get our coffee or whatever, donut, whatever it is. That's not the case in a lot of other areas of the world or even our country. And I think the biggest blessing about living in the Northeast is that the bugs really aren't that big. And there's not a lot of them. I mean, there's a few mosquitoes and gnats here and there. And you're like, Pastor Rob, how does this have anything to do with believing in Jesus? We're getting there. But there's not really a bunch of them. That's not true about the rest of the world. You know, Chrissy and I have traveled to, to Nicaragua on multiple occasions. Um, some of you have traveled to Haiti, and in, in Haiti, you know, I've heard you guys tell, I've never been to Haiti, but I've, I've heard you guys tell stories about spiders that were, like, huge, that, like, they were so big you would, like, literally, like, freeze in fear. And, and in Nicaragua, there's mosquitoes that are, like, small birds that fly around. And, yeah, like, they're, they're huge. And, and then, in, in Florida, my parents lived in Florida for a while, and in Florida, there's, there's a bug that's they say it's not a cockroach, but it's associated with the roach family. You can say whatever you want. It's a cockroach to me. That's what it looks like. Except for it's so big, you can put a leash on it and walk it around the block. Like, those things are huge. I, I'll never forget, I was standing in my mom's kitchen, and this thing is it, not a cockroach. They say it's not an infestation. Whatever. It's a water bug, they say. But it crawls out from underneath the uh, dishwasher, and it crawls across the floor. And I jumped on the counter. I was, like, scared out of my mind. I was like, what is this thing? And so they're like, oh, don't worry, it's, it's nothing. But, but think about it this way. 
Bugs can small, cause small trauma in our lives, right? How many of you guys, like, I get freaked out because of bugs, right? Yeah, yeah. My, you know, my, my, my wife, Christy, she's scared of bugs. Like, a bee, we're sitting on the porch. Just last, just yesterday, we're sitting on the porch, and a bee comes flying by. It's literally, like, six feet from her head, but she can hear it. She's, like, literally, like, she wants to freak out. Like, I'm, like, just calm down. It's okay. It's just a bug. It's just a bee. It's not going to, it's not like it's out to, like, get revenge or something like that. Like, it's, it's just going to fly by. You know, and most of us, we, we, take, a, we take a shoe or something to, and, and, and take care of, the, care, of, care of a bug. But this morning, for illustration purposes, we're going to talk about this nifty device. It's, it's not an infomercial, but this nifty little uh, bug zapper fly swatter. It's bug exterminator. You put batteries in this thing, and then directions say, if I hold this button, the light will come on to tell me that it's ready. Anybody want to touch it? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want anybody to touch it. I don't even know what it feels like. So, but it tells me that it's ready. And, 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 and some of you might use, maybe you don't have one of these. Maybe you use your shoe as your extermination device of choice. And, uh, and when a bug invades our house, Christy yells for me. And normally it's my bedroom slipper. I take the shoe and, and, and I take the device and I run upstairs and exciting things happen. I, I love killing bugs. It's, it's, it's weird, but it's really cool. To, yeah, exciting things happen. I've heard that if you touch a bug with this, electrifying things happen. So, but it invades our house, and, and she rejoices, right? Because the bug's dead. She's not like, she, I've literally seen her freeze and be like pointing at a spider on the floor. I'm like, it's, it's that big. Like, it's tiny. But she, she rejoices. But the weird thing about it is she won't use the device herself. And I believe it comes down to it's about belief. On a side note, if you're looking for a great Christmas gift, this, a Snuggie, and a MyPillow would be a great, would be a great combination. <laughs> but it's about belief. There are different types of belief. And this morning I just want to look at a few of them real quick before we dive into Scripture. The first one is intellectual belief. It's the information. It's the facts. It's the realities. It's our, it's our thinking process. And so because the information's there and the content is there, then we believe. We believe what the facts say. It's intellectual belief. The second is emotional belief. Emotional belief looks at the information. It looks at the facts. And and. And there's some sort of connection that happens. Maybe there's a similarity, some common ground that you have. Maybe, maybe part of it pulls on your, your heartstrings, if you would, about the information. There's something there that can, makes a connection emotionally. And we believe, right? But intellectual belief and emotional belief are not transformational. We have to go to the next type of belief, and that's trusting belief. And it's very personal. At home... We have intellectual belief that this works. We have emotional belief because of the anxiety levels that go down because it takes care of the problem. But for some in my home, they don't choose to pick up the device and realize the power that exists 
and it is not transformational in their life. And John is writing us today and saying that how you believe matters. How you believe matters. What you believe matters. You need to understand belief. You need to understand saving, trusting faith. And I believe this morning that there are some, maybe even in this room, that, that have questions about, do I possess a trusting belief in Jesus Christ? Then maybe there's some of you here today that are, are looking and going, what do I have to believe? How do I have to believe? And that's what John talks about in this scripture this morning. So let's open. We're going to jump into 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to start right in verse 1 this morning. And it's going to be on the screen. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is, is, is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. One of the things that we miss when we look at our NIV translation this morning is that we miss some of the verb tenses here, and we're not going to talk about the original language and breaking all that down, but, but what John is saying here is that if you believe, you believe because God worked in your life. If you believe, you believe because God worked in your life. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is something that preceded it. And it says right there, it, 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 they were born of God. A, a new birth happens. So God worked in my life and helped me believe. If I believe in Christ, God worked in my life and helped me believe. It's like everyone who walks is born, right? So how many of you in here walk? How many walks? How many of you in here were born? Right? You see, the, you see the connection there? See the connection? In other words, God is doing something in my life to draw me to believe in him. Many Christians, I believe, have intellectual belief. Many Christians, I believe, have an emotional belief. Christians, as in the 70% that we're talking about. But how many actually possess a trusting belief in Jesus Christ? God moves into our lives, and he draws us towards himself. Intellectual belief happens. On some level, there has to be some sort of intellectual belief that has to happen for us to accept Jesus Christ. The second thing is an emotional belief happens. There's always an emotional belief that has to happen for, before we move to the next step. And it's the biggest step, and that's a trusting belief in Jesus. Why is this important? God receives glory by drawing us to salvation. We don't have to do anything to earn salvation. We don't, have to, we don't have to say the right thing. We don't have to do something the right way. We don't have to follow some crazy formula. Even our believing is guided by God to draw us to him. Think about how this can change our lives in many other areas other than just believing in Jesus. Many of us are filled with anxiety when we, you know, you're thinking about, oh, I need to, I, I want to become a Christian. You know, I see how my friend lives and yeah, whatever. And, and we get filled with anxiety about what do I have to do? I have to do all these things. And, and it's really not that complicated. It comes down to the idea of I have to believe. I have to believe. And that's God working in your life to draw you to that. So many of us are filled with anxiety and worry because of other relationships outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you go to work and you're saying, am I doing this right? Did I, did I say that correctly? A am I navigating the political structure at work 
correctly. How many of you guys hate the political structures around us, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter where you work at. There's some sort of political structure that, that's there. Am I, am I walking? Am I navigating that correctly? We go home and we, 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 in our relationship with our families, am I building my relationship with my kids correctly? Am I relating to my wife well and in the right way? Or my spouse? In our friend circles, am I handling the, our, the situation correctly? Or am I filled with anxiety? Am I filled with worry in all those areas? And what happens is that same anxiety and that same worry that, that we experience in some of those other areas of life, they get, trans, they get translated right into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you sit, we sit here on a Sunday morning, and, and you hear us talk about real Christianity and what it, what it, what it looks like, and, and we say, I don't know if I can do that. It stresses me out. Like, I don't know if I can do the right thing. But we have to remember that it's God is the one who puts the belief in our lives. He initiates it, and he sustains it, and he will continue to draw us to himself. That doesn't mean that there aren't changes that we have to make throughout our lives. That doesn't mean that some of the things that, 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 that Pastor Paul and we've talked about over, over the past series doesn't mean that those aren't things that we have to put into place. And there, there are things that God will guide us in to change in our life when we believe. Another thing that it does is it changes the way that we think about the gospel. So if we have a trusting belief in Jesus Christ and we know that God draws us to himself... Think about the way that we, we, we think about the gospel. Over the next two months, we'll be traveling to spend time with family, right? Just so you know, there's like 30, let me see, 32 days until Thanksgiving. Are you guys are ready for Thanksgiving? No? Everybody, I'm getting like frown faces this morning. That's not good. There's like 64 days until Christmas. How many of you guys are excited for Christmas? How many of you guys have, how many, how many have all their Christmas shopping done already? Okay, you guys, there were literally like five hands that went up. I'm a little like, wow, I'm a little amazed at that. But anyhow, um, but, but some of us, you know, as we think about the gospel, we think about our families and we think about those who, you know, our family members that, that, that maybe don't know Christ. And the way that we share the gospel is going to look differently when we realize that it's God who does the, does, that draws us to him, Right? So we go, and we're preparing this conversation, and we're on our six-hour car ride to the house, and, you know, if they say this, then I'll say this, and it'll open an opportunity for me to be able to share about, to share about Christ, and, and the door will be open. But I'm so concerned that if they don't say that, and I don't say it in this way with this formula, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? If I don't say it right with, with this formula, then it's not going to work. But when we understand the spiritual truth that it's God who draws us to belief, there's a freedom from that stress and anxiety, right? All we have to do is present the gospel. It's not dependent upon our presentation. Thank God it's not dependent upon our presentation, right? We don't have to persuade them. It's God who draws them. You might say, then why do we even need to share the gospel? Because it's how they hear, and the seed is planted, and the Holy Spirit draws this can be very freeing for us when we share our faith. Belief is started by God drawing us to our lives, but we also see right here that it is centered on Jesus Christ. The people, if, if, we, if we look here at verse 1, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. The people who John was writing to understood what this meant. 
It's not Jesus' last name that we use when we're not, that some people use when they're not praying. It is, it is, it, it, it is a title word. It's saying that Jesus is the chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He's the Deliverer. Giving Jesus that title, John was saying that he is the one who will deliver people. He is the one who, 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 who can change people's lives. And he was pointing to Jesus as a Messiah. And if we look at, if we look at our lives, if we, it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And I look, I look at our, our what people who call themselves Christians, I look, I look at the 70%, and I think that sometimes we don't really believe that Jesus is the Christ. We don't really believe that, that Jesus is the one who can rescue us, who is our deliverer. And we look at our lives in all forms and fashions, we have what I, maybe what we would call fake messiahs in our lives, if you think about it. So we just came out of summer, right? And a couple months ago we came out of summer, and, and there's so many times I hear, I hear parents saying, I just need school to start. How many of you guys said that? Just be real. How many of you guys said, I just need school to start? I, I said that. Like, as I was running the youth ministry, I was like, I just need school to start. Like, I just need school to start. We come out of summer, and parents are going, I just need school to start. I need summer break to end, and I need this school to start, and my life will be changed. Some of you may have been maybe renting a home for a long time. You say, if I could just buy my own home, things will be different. Maybe I've been working here for a long time. If I could just get that promotion and that pay raise, my whole life would be transformed. And can I tell you this morning that whatever it is that you're trusting in to change, to change our life, if it's not Jesus, it's a fake Messiah. It's a fake Messiah. And John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the one who can save you, the one who can deliver you, the one that can change your life, that is believing faith. That is saving faith. That is a trusting belief. So belief is initiated by God, and it's Christ-centered. So this morning, can we just be affirmed that because, of, because our relationship with Jesus is Christ-centered, that we really know that we know that we are saved, right? We know that we know that we have a relationship with him. But then John goes on and he says, not only that, but here are some evidences of what maybe a, a, maybe what a real Christian, if you would, kind of looks like. And, and some of these we've already, we've, already looked at in, we've already looked at in our series, but I'm going to hit them real quick, and then we're going to talk about a couple that we haven't touched on yet in this series. So if we look at verse 1, we're going to start in the second part of verse 1. It says, Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we, we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And in fact, this is a love for, love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So John here hit, hits these couple of points that, that, we've, that we've talked about already, that, that you, can, you know that you are a real Christian because of these, and he gives four evidences of Christ in our lives. And so we're going to hit, hit them real quick. And the first one is this love for God. Love for God. Is there a growing love for God in your life? Do you sense that your love for God is different maybe 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road than what it was when you, when you, when you first believed? 
And, and this love for God will show itself by our love for others. Evidence that, 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 that we have a, a trusting faith in Jesus is our love for others. You know, through this series, we've been challenged to love others well, right? How many, I've been challenged through this series to, to love others in ways that I've never loved before. And then John adds this, number three, our love for God and our love for others is evidence of our obedience to God's commands. And then he adds this awesome little phrase that I absolutely love, and his commands are not burdensome. So what happens is when I love God right, I will love others around me right, and I will demonstrate an act of obedience to God's commands. So this, horror, this vertical relationship that I have affects my horizontal relationship around me, right? And, and, and I think about it as like, as like a circle, right? So if you think about a circle, I, I, if I love God, I love others, and because of that, I'm obeying God's commands. And the more I obey God's commands, the more love I have for God, the more love I have for others. And it's this, this never-ending circle that, that, that we, we operate in. And, and I look at it, and when Christy and I got married seven year, about seven years ago, we walked up to the front of, of a church and... and up to the front of a church on, on the stage, and, and we said our vows, and, and we exchanged rings, and, and she didn't pull out from underneath her bouquet of flowers a list of 25 commands for, for me to get right. It might have made the first few years of marriage a little bit easier, but <laughs> am I right, guys? Nobody's saying anything because they don't want to get broken ribs, but, but she didn't do that. Why? Because it's, part of our love, it's, it's not part of our loving relationship. But what I've come to find out is that there's things that she likes. There's, there's desires, there's dreams, there's passions that she has. And I found that as I love her and I grow in my knowledge of her, those things that she likes, I want to do. Those desires that she has, I want to see so fulfilled. Those dreams and passions, I want to see come true. And it's the same thing that God does with us when we're in a loving relationship with him. It's a natural progression. As we love him and we love others, we want to obey God. And we begin to see what he wants us to do as we read his word. And we follow more about and we learn more about him and we pursue him. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Jesus talks about this in and in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, uh, Jesus is being questioned by a, a lawyer, if you would. And, and, he, and he says this, it's on the screen. He says, teacher, which is, the greatest, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus is saying that the most important command is to get right, is your love for God. The second, second on the same line is your love for others. And then everything else will fall into line because of your love. And the last part of the verse in 1 John 5 that, that, I, that I love is that his commands are not burdensome. And so many times we, we look to the Bible and we look to, to Scripture and as, as so many Christians look to it as a, a list of do's and don'ts, like a, a big look, book of rules and regulations. And I'll tell you, if this thing was full of rules and regulations... There is no way that any of us would be able to li live by all of them, as thick as this thing is. It's not, it, but there's no freedom in that. 
That's not what real Christianity is all about. Real Christianity is about a trusting belief in Jesus Christ and loving him. And just like my relationship with Christy, as I love her and I begin to get, get to know more about her, I, get, I do the things that she wants me to do, right? And maybe not the things that she wants me to do, but I want to please her in, in the way, that, I, in the way that, that we interact in our relationship. And it's the same way in our relationship with, with God. It's no longer a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a burden anymore. The more obedient I am, the easier obedience comes. Think about that. The more obedient I am, the easier obedience comes. Obedience switches from maybe a burden to a delight. I like doing these things. It's no longer a burden that weighs me down. Personal Personal obedience is a gauge of our love for God and our love for others. So if you're loving God right, and you're loving people, right? Guess what? It shows you how obedient you're being to God's word. John says these are the things you can look for in your life. Your love for God, your love for others, and your active obedience to God's word. Those are three evidences of your trusting belief in Jesus Christ. And then John adds a fourth, and we see this in verse 4 and 5. He says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says that we will have the fourth evidence, victory over the world, that will show that we have a trusting belief in Jesus. And a few weeks ago, the Philadelphia Eagles, so here we go, football illustration. Philadelphia Eagles played the New York Giants. And coming from Morgantown, West Virginia, there's not a professional football team in Morgantown. But coming from Morgantown, West Virginia, I've never really been into the NFL. I play fantasy football based upon statistics, not because I've ever actually, I don't know that I've ever sat and watched an actually complete game. But since we've moved here, it's been exciting to hear people talk about the Eagles with such passion and and dedication, sometimes too much passion and sometimes too much dedication. And but with this one particular game, I kept getting updates on my phone. And I was like, what is going on? When you're playing fantasy football, you get updates on your phone a lot. But anyhow. And, and I was like, what's going on? And it was exciting. The Eagles were up by 14 for almost three quarters. 14 to zero. They could taste victory. Like this thing, like, we don't even have to play the last quarter probably because we're going to win, right? Only one quarter of football left. For those of you who don't know, that's about 15 minutes of play time. I had to look that up. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure the Eagles fans were going crazy, right? But what happens? The Giants come out on the field, and in five plays, touchdown. Whoa, now the, now, now the things have changed a little bit. It's 7-14, to 14, and the Eagles crowd gets a little bit quiet, and the Giants crowd starts cheering. And then, and then the Eagles fumbled it with 12 minutes left in the game. And the Giant has the ball, Giants have the ball. And in four plays, boom, another touchdown. We're now at 14 to 14. It's a tied game, right? The Giants crowd is going crazy because they're like, we actually have a chance at winning this game. Like, we're in this still. The Eagles come out. And what happens? It's the best of luck for the Giants. They can't convert. They can't do anything. And so now the Giants get possession of the ball. And in two plays, the Giants score another touchdown. 
If you're doing math with me here, that makes 21 to 14. The Giants are now winning after the Eagles have held the, held the lead for three quarters of the game. The Giants fans are going nuts. They thought they were going to lose, but now there's a chance. And the Eagles get the ball, and boom, another touchdown. So now we're tied again, 21-21. And the Eagles are still in it. The Giants get the ball, and, and they kick a field goal. 24-21 to 21 puts the Giants back up on top. And then the Eagles kick a field goal. And this is like back, and my emotions are like, I don't know what to do here. And I have fantasy players on both teams, just so you know, so you can see why I'd be torn. But with less than one minute on the clock, this game is tied 24-24. to 24. The Giants get the ball. And the Eagles get lucky, and the Giants act like the Giants and couldn't score. And sorry for Giants fans in the room. I'm probably getting death threats. But then with, then with 13 seconds left on the clock, many people probably said it's going to take a miracle for us not to go into overtime. The Eagles line up at the 43-yard line to kick a field goal when time is expiring. They line up to kick a 61-yard field goal. The kicker had already missed from 52 yards, guys. He's a rookie. He's brand new, right? And many of you guys are like, yeah, I know this. Shut up. And, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> but the 61-yard field goal is up, and it's good. And the Eagles win the game. The fans go crazy, right? Across the stadium, Giants fans, and at home, are completely silenced. They thought for sure, the Giants fans thought for sure, that if they were going to win one game this season, it was probably going to be that game. It looked like they had a shot, but their celebration had turned to defeat and despair. And some Christians, that's where they live their lives. That's where we live, that's where they live our lives. Is there victory? Because one of the things we do when we evaluate winning and losing is by, by winning and, and living in victory is when everything's going great and, 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 and when, we, we, when we think that we are not living there, we're not living on the eagle side of the stadium, if you would. We can't experience victory. And Scripture does not teach that whatsoever. There's a Scripture in Romans chapter 8, and it's on the screens this morning. When Paul's talking about victory in the midst of all sorts of trying situations, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, shall persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That doesn't sound like victory too much, right? That doesn't sound too promising, right? But, but he says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of whatever's going on around me, I have victory. What is our victory. It says it right in verse 4 in, in, in chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. And if we read it, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith. Our victory is not the changing of our circumstances. It's not the changing of our situations. It's not the destruction of our enemies, even though some of us would really like that. It's not a new life. It's not a new leaf. It's not a new calendar year. It's not a new promotion, a new house. It's our faith. Our faith. It's not about the situation around us. It's the victory that we have because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is evidence of, 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 of a true 
belief in Jesus Christ. That whenever a Christian is going through life, and, and let's be real, life happens, right? And, and when life happens, it's not some fake Messiah that we turn to. It's not some, it's, it's, not, it's, we, it's not some, oh, look at me because of my circumstances. And yes, there are times when we are, we are burdened down because of the things that are around us. But it's our trusting belief in Jesus Christ as our Messiah, as our rescuer, as our sustainer. He gives us victory over our old way of life. We are a new creation because of him. So many times I see Christians who are burdened down by the things of this world. And it says, it says in this verse that we have overcome the world. We have victory over the world because of our belief in him. We, we say we believe in something. We believe in Jesus with our lips, but in our actions we live defeated lives. And we, act like no, we may act like nothing is wrong, and, but really on the inside, our life, we live defeated. But it's because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of our trusting belief in Jesus, that we can have victory over the world. Our faith should not waver. Real Christianity is not wavering. It's not believing based upon what is going on around us. You know, when things are going well, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I know that he's my rock, and he's my foundation, and that's, that's who I'm going to stand on. But as soon as tragedy hits, I hear the question so many times, I don't know what to believe. Or who, who do I believe? What do I do? There's one person that never changes, and our faith in him is solid. Real Christianity is knowing the power that he has despite what we're going through. It's not an intellectual belief. It's not an emotional belief. It's a trusting belief in him that is evident despite the circumstances that are around us. No matter what's going on, I have Jesus. I am more than a conqueror. I have victory. It may not look like it right now, because of what's going on in my life, but because of my trusting faith and trusting belief in Jesus Christ, that is my confidence. Regardless of our circumstances, I'm going to love God. Regardless of my current situation, I'm going to love others. Regardless of what's going on in my life, I'm going to be obedient to God's word. I'm going to do what I'm going to walk it out the way that He calls me to walk to walk it out. Despite the temptations that come my way, I have victory over those temptations. I hold fast to my belief in him, the source of truth. Despite what our culture says is truth, I know the source of truth. He's my savior, my deliverer, and I hold fast to him. Through our trusting faith in Jesus Christ, we have victory over the world. So evidences of our trusting faith, loving God, loving others, obedience without burden, and victory is the evidence of real Christianity. John doesn't just show us trusting belief and give us evidence of trusting belief, but he gives us the result then of a trusting belief in Jesus Christ. And we find this in in verse 13. I'm going to go straight to verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you have eternal life. So John says the result of a saving belief is eternal life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come this morning. Church, we have eternal life. I think so many times that we, we think in our minds that eternal life is, is something that happens, you know, we take our age, right, and we add 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years from now. That's when eternal life happens. But, but I, I believe that, that 
that we don't live as if we currently have eternal life. We live as if eternal life is something we're going to get. And yes, that's true. It is something we, we will walk out in when Christ comes back or in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, whenever we, whenever, whenever we pass away. But many Christians don't live as if they have eternal life now. Many live as if today is their last day. They live as the mindset of today. It's not, like, it's not like the end of the movie and the end and then eternal life is the credits afterwards. Eternal life is given to us because of our trusting faith in Jesus Christ. It's something that we, that we have now. So my question to you this morning is, how is your faith? What do you believe? How do you believe? You know, this morning, I started with this bug zapper right? But the stakes are a lot higher for us than a bug zapper. When you think about faith and belief, and you think about the cross, what does that mean, what, what does that mean to you? When you consider the truth that, that it represents, do you respond just emotionally? Do you respond maybe just intellectually? Or is there more? I believe that God calls us to move past intellectual faith. I believe that God calls us to not, not, not to get rid of it, but to move past that. I believe he calls us to move past emotional faith, not to get rid of it, but to move beyond that toward a trusting faith, a personal belief that in my heart of hearts, no matter what the situations around me look like, I'm not going to trust the facts maybe that are around my circumstance. I'm not going to... It's beyond that, that I know that Jesus is my Messiah, that he has come to change my life, that he has come to be my rescuer, my sustainer. And when we can realize that and we can walk in that, there is such freedom whenever that obedience begins to happen in our lives. And this morning, our, our response time is going to look a little bit differently. If you, when you came in this morning, you saw there were some papers on your seats this morning. And, and maybe, maybe this morning your reflection time doesn't even look like or relate to any of those questions that are on that page. Maybe this morning there's a reflection about my relationship with Jesus and what belief do I have? This isn't the first question that's on there. But this morning as the worship team leads us in a song, I'm going to ask that you would, you would reflect on some of these questions. And then at the end, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. And if you would like prayer, they'll be here and, and they'll, they'll pray with you. But this morning, let's just look over the question. This is the first one. What type of belief do I possess? Is it intellectual? Is it emotional? Is it trusting? It could be maybe one. It might be all three. Where are you at? Where are you at in your belief in, your, in, your belief in, in, in Jesus Christ? Second one is identifying the fake messiahs in your life. What are some fake messiahs that I look to to change my life? We all have them. There's all been times, and there's all in all situations. I believe that there are things that we turn to. 
Does my life display a love for God, a growing love for God that's different than it was a month ago, that's different than it was a year ago, it's different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, 100 years ago? Do I love God more now than I did when I first believed? And if I do, how? How does it look different? Does my life display a love for others? How do I love others in ways that I never have before? And, and I know this morning we didn't really hit on those two because we've hit on those for the past, past three or four weeks. The next one, active obedience to God's commands. Do they come easy to me? What are things in my life that I need to change? What can I identify that I need to change to become more obedient? Does my life display victory over the world? When life happens, do I feel a sense of victory? Not because what's around me and my circumstance and my situation, but because of the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. What areas do I need to trust God more in to experience victory? Let's pray this morning. Father, as we reflect, would you speak to us? This morning as we reflect, would you draw us to yourself? Would you let your Holy Spirit point out the things in our lives that, that maybe need to change, Lord? God, would you point out the victories in our lives, the areas that we've loved you more in, the areas that, that we've loved others in? Would you point those out to us? Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would not be distracted by things that are going on in our lives and maybe even, maybe even in, in this atmosphere this morning, but God, that our hearts would be settled on you to be able to reflect on what your word says. In your name I pray, amen. Would you take time now and, and re- spend time reflecting?